0: things. I'm Gary Lama. This week's guest is Israfel Savad. Israfel is an author who has built a prolific collection of releases focused on documenting his personal story of struggles with mental health. His latest book, Disorder, continues in this format and takes the reader back to the beginning of that journey. I got to know Israfel in the Southside Richmond, Virginia punk rock scene in the early 90s, where both our bands would play shows together at St. Edwards, a local church that let kids hold punk rock shows. I hope you enjoy this interview. For more information on Israel, you can check out his website at ezrafelsavad
1: dot com. Thanks for listening. I met you when you played with Broken Chains of Segregation, playing in C. N. Edwards. Um, yes. And to me, you guys were like kind of like a generation, or not like a full, but like a let's say a punk generation before me. was um, really, been, only
2: like two or three years, I think. <laughs>
1: Right. Right. And the thing that always struck me about you was that, um, you know, immediately you guys were playing this very conscious style of music, very political, you know, how how did you approach music and seeing it as a political thing? Like, how did you get influenced to see music like that?
2: Sure. Um, So I came up actually, you know, in the metal scene um, in middle school. I mean, we're talking a long time ago. Um, but in middle school, I was super into metal and, uh, and doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot. I know that's young to be doing all that stuff, but that's just where we were at back then. You know, it was the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And um, I wound up locked up in, uh, in some hospitals. When I came out of the hospital, the last time I got clean and sober and started listening to a lot of straight edge music. Um, but I also started listening to a lot of politically conscious hip hop. Um, Public Enemy was a big influence on me. A lot of that was because I'd, I'd been around a lot of racism and stuff like that during that period of time when I was using and had never said anything about it or um, or commented on it in any way. And uh, when I got clean, it, I guess it was also around the time of the, uh, the L.A. riots in 92 and uh, Raging a right. Machine had just come out. I just kind of took all of that and my own experience of getting clean and seeing what I saw as, like, very negative ways of behaving for a long time. I wanted to just kind of put something positive out there, and uh, I realized that politics were a big part of that. I guess, honestly, I don't know where, where broken chains of segregation really came from. You know, I've been writing lyrics since I was a kid. i would always written about Satanism and stuff like that. I stopped being a Satanist and um started caring about politics and that was kinda how kinda how it went. I felt like I'd like I'd said and been around a lot of a lot of negativity and kind of wicked things and I wanted to bring something positive into the world as a result of that.
1: I feel you on that. And you know, being an outcast or whatever, like on the fringes of like, you know, friend groups and like mm-hmm. whatever social stuff happens in school at those ages. Um, you know, you get drawn into metal, but then also there's this interesting thing of like, you also see people suffering because of being on those sides of those kind of things and, and being off to the side of it. Like I think become a little more contemplative about justice and, you know, what's right and that kind of thing. So seeing that, that kind of crossover of, like in from the metal side to, you know, the political conscious, it seems to make sense. Plus that era there was something in the air. Like there was definitely something. Like Yeah, there
2: great. really was. I mean, shortly before I got Clean Anthrax had released the album Persistence of Time, which right. had a lot of super politically charged messages on it. Um yes. there was also the Raging of the Machine and the Body the Ice T Body Count album came out around came out around that time, which was which was very powerful. Yes. Um a very powerful message for me. And that was, that was those were, those were probably the three things that really kicked it off was uh listening to the lyrics on Persistence of Time listening to Rage Machine, discovering Public Enemy as well, um, which happened for me right around that time. I'd listened to NWA and stuff like that before, which was political in its own way, but I missed the politics for some of the sensationalism, whereas mm-hmm. Public Enemy is a much more direct message of political action.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when the Greek Fest riots happened um, in Virginia Beach, like, seeing those in, on the news as a kid, and then, like, you know, hearing Chef D talking about, you know, from a lesson we learned in Virginia, like, that right, kind of thing. Right. Like, it had like a ground level kind of feeling of relatability that a lot of punk rock and hardcore also had, but it was being blasted like nationwide, you know, mm-hmm. it was very interesting. But so coming from that, um, you know, you've got this new book, Disorder, which is an mm-hmm. avant-garde memoir of psychosis, healing and love. That book kind of takes you, takes the reader from um a little bit past this era, right?
2: Well, it actually, I actually addressed that era in the, in that book. Um, but okay. that book is, the book is structured in a very, in a very roundabout way. Um, right. So it kind of jumps back and forth through time a lot, but it opens with me in my, I guess, probably my early thirties. Um, when I was dealing with some of the mental health issues that I've dealt with throughout my life and kind of takes a trip backwards and forwards from that moment to show what my life was like leading up to that moment and what my life wound up coming after those moments of dealing with a lot of mental health issues.
1: Looking over, like uh, you sent me, uh, I think the first chapter, um, Mm -hmm. this story, it it is about, you know, you, you're with a girl that is, um, I think on heroin, um, looking for heroin, um, you end up going to get crack, uh, and you got it for you, but not for the girl, um, right?
2: And then, well, I think as, I, as I mentioned about- that chapter, it wasn't it wasn't actually my fault. The guy, the guy who scored it for me, kind of took, kind of just told me we were going to smoke it then, <laughs> and, right? And okay. I wasn't in sort of a a position to argue with him at that point in time. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, is
1: there a drug? etiquette, like in that route, Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, also you're probably worried for your safety. Also it's, I think at a bus station. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that, you know, that, that is something that I think is interesting if people have not been in those um, situations to try and understand how some of that stuff works. But the thing that you're hitting on here, you're talking about lifelong mental issues that you have struggled with. Mm-hmm. And in this country, that is something that has, until pretty recently, been kind of taboo to talk about. How have you embraced that as an artist? Because this isn't just the only thing that you've done reflecting on this. Like, you've done the um, the uh, music project.
3: Personal um, mm-hmm. uh,
1: Collective. Right. That was based off a lot of the writings from... Um, some of the stuff you've dealt with as well. Uh, right. Is this like a, um, is it a cathartic thing or is, is it something that you're trying to like bring awareness to for others or help others feel less alone? Like, how do you approach writing about these things and kind of what is your hope with it?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, the stuff that I put, that, most of the stuff that I, that I set to music with the Earthspun Collective. Um, That was stuff that I actually wrote while I was in psychotic states. I always have written. I've always written since I was in, since I was in elementary school. I used to write myself to sleep at night um, as a kid. After my parents got divorced, I tried to fall asleep. So I just kept writing through high school, through college, through my 20s when my mental illnesses started kicking in. And um, as a result of the kind of megalomania of my particular diagnosis, I really thought that I was kind of on a mission from God, like the Blues brothers, and that all these writings that I had put together were meant to be shared with the world. Um, so I started just publishing them, self-publishing them because I couldn't find uh, traditional publishers that were interested in work at that point in time. And so I decided self-publishing them because I thought they were important to share and I didn't know why. At this point in time I've actually modified some of those writings since because they were really raw, and I've gone back, and luckily, because of the self-publishing issues, I can, I've been able to change some of my writing to make them a little more, just a little more presentable than they were initially. So by the time I get to disorder, I'd really come to the conclusion that I had this whole body of work out there that was basically written while I was in psychosis or based on ideas that I had when I was in psychosis, and um, I think that's all worth preserving just to show what that world is like. Right. Also, I think, there's, I think there's a lot more to it than just I think there's I think there's a lot of insights that I had during those periods of my life as well that are worth sharing with people. It's not just the fact that it's like this chronicle of insanity. It's that there's also a lot of insights in that insanity. But I feel like. But aside from that, I felt like there was also a lot of negativity, much like I did with the book and with Broken Chains of Segregation when I was younger. Um, Disorder is a very similar project where I felt this urge to like try to take all of this all of this chaos and madness that I've experienced and build something positive out of it because my life is very positive right now. You know, I've been I'm I'm clean and sober again for ten years. I'm stable for ten years at this point in time. I wanted to show some level of positivity that all of this darkness that I've encountered, there was a way to recover from it. And I don't know if I go much into how you recover from it. I don't know how I've recovered from it, to be honest. But I'm blessed and and whatever whatever that word means to be stable at this point in time, you know, like I said, for a decade and to have a very, very normal life, um, which 10 years ago didn't really look possible for me. In your
1: um, writings from that time, there's this cloud of like things that are not logical, things that are obviously, you know, you're in a state of psychosis. Um, but there's also these these truths that you're discovering
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and feelings have you been able to accept them without the cloud of uh, of, of the depression and, and psychosis around them?
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting question because certainly when I came off the streets this last time, which is right about the time disorder starts, um, and I don't think I actually wrote much about that initial period off the streets, Um mm. But I really just, what I really did was I, I just discounted everything I'd ever experienced in Psycho. So basically, I just kind of my whole life. I started my whole life over from scratch and kind of figured that I needed to just stop doing everything. I actually stopped writing for two years. It wasn't until um, the composer, Noman, who was the first person to put together an Earthsprung Collective track. It wasn't until we put that track together in Baltimore one afternoon that I finally started writing again. Um, that was two years after I got gotten clean. And what was the original to writing?
1: It was possibly like problematic for you or
2: yeah yeah i thought i thought that right i thought that everything was part of my sickness and so i I had to let everything go and i wasn't very happy but i was getting healthier mentally and uh, so i say all that to say that today probably over the past three to five years i started reincorporating ideas that i that i came across in psychosis back into my life because i do feel like no, I, I felt like I was in and out of hospitals in and in out of psychosis for about seven or eight years. And I'd put, I'd put some time together where I was stable and, and, you know, maybe two years here, two years there. And then I, I, I'd wind it back in the hospitals and homeless and all this stuff. I, I came to this conclusion that, that even when I wasn't in psychosis, I wasn't healthy. So I had, to, I wanted to just had to let everything go. And, and I, and when I wasn't in psychosis, I still believed so strongly in my insights from psychosis. Um, right. But I really believed I was, I was on this powerful spiritual quest and that psychosis was a big part of that. But that was like that was kind of like my most enlightened periods in many ways. And mm-hmm. I just had to let that go eventually, I think, to get healthy. And now that I've been healthy and stable for a while, I'm comfortable kind of revisiting a lot of those ideas. And some of, my, some of my newer writing, I'm revisiting some of the ideas from my psychotic breaks and trying to see how I look at them now and what they mean for me today. That's kind of a lot of the stuff that I'm working on now. Yeah, I mean, because that's, I, I've
1: personally had similar experiences where when you're in a certain mindset and, it, and it's so pervasively a part of your life, um, you know, and, and I mean, this can be with anything from just belief systems or an addiction to something. Uh, it can be hard to recover from that while still having those bits in your life. Yeah. That they kind of like feed into it or, so I definitely understand why you would, even stop writing. Um, but then you go back and you start realizing like, okay, this thing was a problem. This thing wasn't a problem, but it's hard to see exactly together. And if it's been your total experience, you know, that's a brave thing to do to step away from the way you've been living and start over. Cause it, it, it really allows you nothing comfortable because there's nothing familiar.
2: Yeah, thank you. That's, that's true. And I actually used to, you know, the, the, the few people that I did talk to about during that period of my life, I talked to them a lot about how uncomfortable I was, especially in social settings, because I had, I, I had no idea what to talk with people about anymore, because, um, my conversation prior to that had almost all, for, for years, it centered on my, my insight experiences that I'd had when I was in, when I was in a psychotic state or heading towards a psychotic state or something like that. And I didn't want to talk about that with people anymore. So I I was it was it was a very uncomfortable time in my life a very difficult time in my life but a very positive and powerful time in my life as well and something that I think allows me to have the life that I have today which is which is really wonderful you know I mean I, I, as I said it's a relatively normal life and I still produce tons and tons of art you know and that's all I really wanted to do anyway was just produce. Artistic writings was really all I wanted to do. I work with a couple bands nowadays to write lyrics for them. I work with some filmmakers to write screenplays. I do my own creative writing. You know, I'm I'm releasing Disorder. I'm working on a, a couple novels and a collection of short stories as well right now that will hopefully be released in the next few years, too.
1: Yes, you've been like, when I was looking over the, the, uh, book list you had included here, like you've been pretty prolific, like you've been doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> and and that's interesting. Like you seem to be driven to make things and share them. And, and it, you know, it's one thing to make things, um, mm-hmm. but it is a completely other thing to make things and share them because that says that you see a value and a purpose and what you're doing. And overall, like when you look at, you know, the trajectory of of what I know about you, it seems like you've always been trying to share things that are helpful.
2: Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, you know, I don't know how I've always tried to share things that were helpful. I would say that a lot of the writings, a lot of the, a lot of the writings that I have published, Mm -hmm. I find them helpful now because of what the, the the reason I eventually published them was because I felt, I felt that I wanted to paint a full picture of myself at at some point in time. This was earlier on, early on when I started publishing my writings, I wanted this just like full picture of me to come out to people like good, bad, you know, my website says, bring the darkness into the light. And that was kind of the heart of what I was trying to do. Um, that I felt that if I showed, if I showed the negativity in the darkness, somehow light could shine on it and it would just disappear. I do agree that I, I don't, although, you know, a lot of, a lot of the writing that I, a lot of the writing that I put together, particularly during my twenties and thirties, I wrote it only because I was in a lot of pain and I didn't know how else to express myself. Mm -hmm. And, but I started publishing it, I guess, because you're right, I did feel that it was valuable to show people that pain as hideous as it may be, and as difficult as it may be to look at at times. And then again, like I said, with disorder, what I really wanted to do was show kind of where that, where that all could lead to that, that there, that there is, that there, that there can be kind of a happy ending for a lot of these, a lot of these things that I've encountered and ideas that I've encountered. Not that I necessarily think that happy ending is necessary, but I feel like maybe a hopeful ending is more what I should say. That there can be hope for people as well, because I feel like a lot of my, a lot of my, a lot of my writings in my twenties and thirties were not particularly hopeful. Were uh, very honest and very, very true pictures of what I had experienced, but not always hopeful. Kind of at a point in my life, you know, I'm a father, and I just wanted to bring some more hope into the world.
1: Well, hope is a you know it's a it's a it's a rarity in terms of situations, like, you know, when you're feeling a situation and a situation makes you feel hopeful, like it is, it is a, it is a amazing thing because it's, you know, it's not every day, right? Like every day is, you know, at best, generally it's pretty mundane. Maybe it's a little boring, but it's also painful. And it it sounds like what you've tried to do is like share the wealth of the reality Mm -hmm. about what your experience has been. And I I wonder, you know, when when artists try to do that it i mean it's very interesting because you you're you're trying to inject the full balance into something and it, it it's almost in a way to try and make it seem like well if, if 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 this is okay then this is okay too like it's almost like a statement of like you know this is kind of a thing that happens and it, there, there is something to be celebrated at some level about it as well. Like even when it's like that negativity, it's almost like you're celebrating sure. the human condition to us or the human tendency, you know, because none of us are just not, well, very few of us are just fine. You
2: well, yeah. I've if if kind of fine, you're probably not fine. Right. <laughs> something Something's going on there. I knew that 100 percent and that was that was very much when i so when I started self publishing like I said, I'd stopped writing for about two years. When I put together the the Earth Collective project with nomon i um I went back on my computer and just started looking back at all of these writings that I actually put together in, in the books over since I was about eighteen years old i've been I've been putting these books together. And I kinda had this realization that I had this I had this very complete picture of humanity in all of these different writings. And I thought that if I kept going I'd have a more complete picture of humanity. I was actually inspired by I think the short story by Thomas Mann and I think it's the story Tony O'Kroger, where he talks about how um in order to be a true artist you have to live long enough to capture all the period of humanity. And I don't know I, I, you know, I hope I can live that long. At this point in my life, I hope I can live that long. I didn't always hope I could live this long. But that's kind of what I started realizing I could do. And I was also thinking about, like, I was also thinking about, like, like, um, like Buddhism and how, like, in in my understanding of aspects of Buddhism, that, like, if, um, if you, if I could paint a full picture of one person, I could show, I could show the whole world in that, because it's all interconnected, right? Um, physically yeah. interconnected, not spiritually interconnected, right. but all physically interconnected. So right. if I could paint a picture of myself that I would show you, Then I would show the world itself. And, um, you know, those are all lofty goals. I don't know if, I don't know if that's actually what I'm doing, but that was the inspiration for doing this project, my writing projects, the way that I've done it and why I've released so much of what I've written. And and it's
1: kind of, you know, I, I, I look at, I, I study a bit of Buddhism myself. It's, it's kind of like this idea that we're all the same to a certain extent and the basicness of our human human capacity and that we all pretty much want the same things to feel like we need the same things to feel, uh, good. Like, you know, love, acceptance, security. Mm -hmm. Um, we all have the doubt, um, fear, anxiety. Um, and so in a sense like, I guess what you're trying to do is use yourself as a model, like almost like a cartographical map of a human experience, and that in that you might discover or map some of the human condition that could be applicable to everybody.
2: Exactly. That's exactly it. And it's, you know, uh, the story that actually was inspiring to me is a, I think it's an orthodox Hindu story, but it's, um, it's been incorporated into, into, into sects of Buddhism, mm-hmm. is a story called Indra's Net, which is this like, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's this, it's this jeweled net where the where every single jewel in the net reflects every other jewel in the net and that's kind of what i was thinking of with with the writing that like that like if i could if i could paint a full picture of this one jewel in the net then every jewel in the net would be reflected like both both today and forward and backwards in time now like i say that's a that's a lofty crazy goal i don't i don't know i don't know if i'm if i'm actually doing that but that was that was the inspiration for publishing all my writing at one point in time
1: well you know i mean you don't from an outside perspective, you don't need to do all of humanity. I mean, do a, a sure, bit of sure, sure, sure. You know, um, but that you know that is interesting. I mean, that reminds me of the thing that they say about love, and that mm-hmm. you know when you're in love with somebody, what you're actually feeling is the love in yourself reflecting off of them, like if oh, you wow, so Never heard that before. I like that. Well, it's, I guess it's like I've noticed it kind of coming from like a PTSD and kind of traumatic mm-hmm. background or whatever. Your capacity, like, to feel love seems to be limited by your or your your perception of love seems to be limited by your capacity of love. And so, when you're loving that person, it it's actually like you're seeing, you're feeling that feeling that you're emoting, and it's like bouncing back off of them and. And so when someone's not receptive to it, it's just kind of getting sucked up, you know, it's just kind of like going void, and you feel like, like weakened, you feel like, um, uh, you know, like you're losing energy. Um, but when, when, when you have that responsive, uh, person, um, in a relationship with you, it, you know, it, you, you feel it kind of coming back to you. I mean, that, that, I don't know where I picked that up, but, but it's something that kind of made more sense about when I was working through my own personal, like issues with stuff, um, about why I might be having, uh, <laughs> love issues and certain things. And that sure. thing, totally as a model, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if those two ideas kind of paired up at some point because it sounds very similar. But that's also one of the things about humanity, whereas if you, if you study one thing that's been around for a while, it generally ends up sounding pretty similar to another thing. Um, because mm-hmm. we have that kind of like, I forget the, the technical term for it, but it, it's that idea where, you know, if you have two people in the same or different parts of the world, you know, like two scientists, let's say, they'll, they'll they'll both kind of discover the same thing around the same time just based on where humanity's capabilities are.
2: Right, like calculus with Newton and and, um, uh, Leibniz at the same time. Exactly. Right. And the interesting counterpoint
1: to that is, and I mean, this is what makes me feel good making art. Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed out that while that does happen in sciences, that will never happen in art. Like No. no one but the artist will ever paint that particular painting. So if you ever need a reason to make art, it's because no one will else, no one will accidentally, you know, simultaneously discover like the Mona Lisa or something like that, or like Gornik. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that is only that person's like personal lens and experience that led them to see this thing and interpret it in that way. You know, so that's kind of like a hopeful thing about why why we should share these experiences because while there are definitely these parallels between us all as human beings, sometimes there's beauty that. You know, just our experience can kind of lend us to. But, um, sure,
2: I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's what I tell anybody who ever asks me about why they should create something or, or, or or if they should create something. It's always just that, just that you're the only one who can create this, you know? And I, and I still, I still agree with that thing that I say that it's all kind of reflected and it, and, and and it's all, it all shows like, like the same things in humanity, but nothing is going to come out exactly the same. It's all its own individual reflection, you know? And, And, um, you know, it's kind of like, the saying that like you know we're all we're 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 all special snowflakes but we're all still snowflakes you know like it doesn't, right, it doesn't right. make a difference right like but it makes a difference because we're all unique even though we're the same you know and uh, and that's kind of that's kind of the point of the point of creating art in many ways i agree with that 100% well
1: so the other th- i guess the other big thing about what you've dealt with here is in the sharing of it you decided to self publish and yeah. that itself, I mean, the biggest barrier has always been like, you know, if you want, so there's, there's making something and then there's sharing it. And the biggest barrier has been, you know, finding someone to give you the validation to share it, um, or, or the validation to put their whatever behind it to share it. Um, and when, and when we get into self-publishing, you know, that definitely comes from the punk rock world and the hardcore world. Sure. But that's just de facto. And some people don't even think about it, but, it's still kind of a rare thing in the book world. So how did you get into that aspect of it? Like, how did you figure out how to do that?
2: Well, so it was, um, so I was, I was, you know, it's kind of interesting. I thought about it a lot since that even though I came up in the punk scene, I was not comfortable self-publishing for a long time. You know, I, like I said, I had all these books sitting on my computer for since I was 18 until I was about 35. And, um, And they were just sitting there and I thought I needed the gatekeeper to tell me that my ideas were worthwhile. Right. And, um, eventually it just kind of struck me that like, just like when I was a kid in broken chains of segregation, nobody needed to tell me that this was okay. You know, I need, I just needed to get it out there, that it was my job just to, it was my job to write it and it was my job to make sure it was available to the world. And whatever people thought of it, that was up to them, you know. And um, and I realized that we live in this great time where there are all these different self-publishing platforms and uh, and ways to get ways to get you out there that I didn't need a gatekeeper any longer. I didn't need people to tell me that this was marketable in this way, that this that this could that this could reach this audience in this way, you know, and not to say not to say that I don't think about those things as well. Um, you know, that I, that especially since I started actually self-publishing, I've become much more aware of the fact that I'm reaching an audience and I want to think, I want to think about who I'm trying to reach and how I'm going to reach them and stuff like that, of course, of course. which is stuff I didn't think about at all when I first started writing. Then I was just writing because I was writing. But still, like, like I said, it's, 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 it's that punk rock thing. We don't need gatekeepers anymore. You deciding that you
1: needed to do it, you actually acted as a gatekeeper for me to motivate me to do it because Mm. like, like seeing your band play and seeing that you guys were like, you know, we can do it. Like it was, it was literally seeing DCS that let me know like, Oh shit, we can put our own tape out too. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's actually like a snowballing empowering thing that, that motivates others to have that same thing just by the act of doing it.
2: Yeah. And that to me is democratic, right? That like, that like taking culture and democratizing culture that we, we don't, we don't need, we don't, we don't need somebody to tell us that like, this is valuable. That isn't valuable. This is worth, this is worth consuming. This is not worth consuming. We can make those decisions for ourselves. yeah, um, It's just
1: the gatekeeping from one institution to the people. Like they can decide, exactly. like, do I want to buy it? I mean, there's some strategic problems with it, which means that like there's more stuff on the market. Like, I mean that is how the economy is now. Like so much stuff is more self-published, and it's just people are overwhelmed with the amount of things that they can.
2: Oh, get. sure. I mean, I've got that I've got, got book lists. I've, <laughs> I've got a blog's book list for, that I'll never get through because of because there's so much information out, so so much content out there, uh, music, books, everything. But and it also, as, as you said, it also makes it harder that like that, like I have to work that much harder to try to get my stuff in front of people for them to see. You know. Mm -hmm. And show them that it's something that they want to take the time to read or listen to or watch if it's a, if it's a, if it's a music or a movie instead. But I think in the long run, I think it's worth it. Like I feel like, I feel like it's like that biblical thing. Like I remember thinking about that biblical thing of like be fruitful and multiply one time. And I remember thinking about that and thinking that like really what they're just saying is just like bring the chaos on, like bring it on yeah like just throw it all out there and see what comes out of it like you need we need the stuff out there because let's see let's see what it produces we've got so many voices here let's 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 crowdsource it and see what it wants to produce it, you know
1: yeah that's a that's a i mean it's a completely almost different way of operating than it was um but it it seems to be working um but it it does put that impetus on like you now you need to can like convey to people why this is valuable
3: mm hmm
1: And that's an interesting also dichotomy that's kind of shifted in that I remember back in the nineties when I would think about things politically, I would always think, you know, if people just had the right information or if they just had the information, no one would believe the things that they believe, you know, like this is a very
3: possible
1: kind of belief. And now we live in this time where all the information is out there and it's actually a problem of information. Like there's like, questionable information like like you know there's people just putting up like all kinds of information like stuff that's not Mm -hmm. sourced properly some that's just manipulative i mean it's just it's so far gone and it really puts this impetus kind of like the same thing with the gatekeeper of like what should i read or or listen to um it puts this value judgment and this accuracy judgment from the institution onto the individual now Um, Yeah, I I think think we're seeing the effects of that too. Sometimes with like our president and (laughs) things like
2: that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said about about it. You know, I mean, I know know they've done studies on how like an overabundance of information basically gets people to a point where they can't make decisions any longer. Mm -hmm. And I see that with people all the time. You know, Um, myself as well, where like, well, I'm so overwhelmed with so much information out there that I don't even know what to think or believe anymore. Um, Right. And, um, but I think that in the long run, I think what it, what it allows, what it allows us to do is really know ourselves because what I've had to do in those situations when I don't know what to think anymore, because I'm seeing so much information, I have to take a look at like, who am I, what do I believe and what do I know about this world to be true? And therefore this is what is true. Not to say that there's not like objective truth as well, that like things happen and things don't happen. Those I have to do the research on to figure out what happened and what didn't happen. Right. Know? But when it, when it comes to interpretive, that's up to me.
1: Well, and that's uh, I did an interview with Tim Towsey a while back. He, uh, he he's a school teacher, and he was talking about the concept of knowledge as being your own distillation of information with what you know, and then like the way you build that understanding. That is what knowledge is. So, like, it it is mm. like stepping back and reflecting, and so it requires this reflecting period to actually develop knowledge because you're saying, okay, well, I know this says X is X, and this says Y is Y. What is everything I know about, you know, the judgment of these two sources, the judgment of my own life experience, um, and and how, you know, how am I interpreting this with all of this? And in that reflective period, you know, that stepping back, we actually – it, that's where we build it. And, and that might actually also be a criticism of the time we're in that we don't have much time <laughs> to do that yeah, um, because of the
2: inundation. Yeah, and, and not only the inundation, but also, also the way our lives are structured now, you know, that I spend, I spend most of my, I spend most of my life today working and taking care of my family, both, both things, both, both things, which I enjoy. Um, you know, I even enjoy, luckily I, you know, I write for a living as well. I don't write fiction for a living, but I don't mind what I write for a living. I mean, sometimes I mind what I write for a living. It's not always the best, but for the most part, it's okay. And uh, it cuts into my, my ability to reflect on things, you know, and I used to use my writing as the place where I could, where I, for me, where I could sit back and think about all that I've experienced and all that I've done and what does this all mean for me. Um, mm-hmm. But even today, like, a lot of my writing, you know, the the novel that I'm working on, I've been working on for six years at this point in time because I just don't have the time to reflect on things that much, wow. you know? And so things take a lot longer because because life life gets in the way of life gets in the way of creating at times. But for me, I just keep chipping away at little things, you know, and figuring out more and more who I am and what I believe, chipping away at those little things. And uh, for me, creating is a big part of that learning learning myself and learning what I'm seeing by by putting my thoughts down on paper, and whether that's thoughts on paper or paintings on a wall or um or music, whatever it is. you know I feel like all of this is getting to know ourselves even better, you know
1: there's a couple other things here that I'm, I'm picking up just in talking to you. And one is just, you know, you're talking about how you have a family now and all this stuff growing up in punk. Like that was looked at as like a young man's sport,
3: let's say, <laughs> you
1: know, um, right. like it was kind of, you know, like rock, all of that was a young man's sport. And as rock developed and as the Rolling Stones turned like 70 or 80 or mm-hmm. they are, it kind of shifted into like, you know, maybe it isn't. And as we're seeing people that are like getting older, I mean, I guess art artists have been doing it the whole entire time, but they, like, like visual artists, you know, like Picasso painting right. into whatever age. Um, mm. But w- for some reason we didn't ex- expand that to maybe music. I think it was definitely um, expected. Oh, more yeah. of, I mean,
2: I, I thought I was spent by the time I was like 25, I thought I was done. You know, I, right. I, thought, I thought I should have already produced all the art that I was going to produce by the time I was 25, you know?
1: And I think also with the, with the tendency of, and I don't believe this is a natural tendency, and this is something that I fought against a lot when I was a kid, was the idea of, you know, at a certain age, you hit this thing and you just you just become mediocrity. You know, like you mm-hmm. give up all your crazy, hoping for better things. But as I've grown older, I've realized that those people, have, there's always been people that are still trying to influence the world in a positive way much past their youth. Um, and I think that has to do with, you know, maybe having better understanding of yourself in a way that you can set boundaries to not completely burn fuck out. And then even then burning out a few fucking times, but still fucking coming back to <laughs> um, so maybe a certain personal drive. But, you know, when I'm doing these interviews, I am coming across a lot of people that are now in, um, older parts of the lives more mature and they're able to put in positive or or constructive work constructive critique um and what i mean by constructive is much more than just damning the thing to hell you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. much more than just pointing out how much it sucks but actually like sharing things that you know will make you think about different things and they're doing this um at later and later parts of their life where they have more developed knowledge, you know, things become a little more gray. They, they require you to, to judge between things more. There's, there's more discretion that needs to be applied. It's not the simple kind of us versus them. Like this is bad. This is good. Like there's a lot more um, discretion. And it's interesting that it's also occurring in this time. That's a lot more kind of like more postmodern and that, you know, realities are, even in places like religion are accepted to be uh, like in pluralistic ideals, um, mm-hmm. accepted to be much more uh, relative. And so when you're going through the self-publishing stuff, um, kind of to circle back here, you I
3: realize I just kind of, uh-huh. off.
1: Um, what were the biggest barriers that you found in that? Um, I mean, I guess one would be, you know, where the technology is at, but also in the distribution and building audiences. What would you say is the biggest thing that has been hardest, hardest nut for you to crack, I guess, in doing
2: that. So yeah, I mean the thing that the first thing that struck me about was so when I self published, I dumped all my books in like two days. Like I had all these books on the computer, I, I formatted them all and just dumped them into into Amazon's ADP and self published them, you know? And yeah. actually I guess it was CreateSpace space back then. And it was like two days and there were like I had thirteen books on the market. And I had no clue how I had no clue how to um how to market them how to get people to actually read them. And I also, because I had so many books and I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't formatted any of them very, very well. Um, so they didn't look that professional yet. And um, I just used Amazon covers for all of them because I didn't have anybody to covers for me and I didn't have any money to spend at the time. So basically the, when I first started, the, the biggest hurdle was everything, um, over time, I've, I've gone back and learned how to format my books very well, so they look very professional now. And my wife is a very talented artist, and she now does book covers for me, um, artist and graphic designer. She does, she, she does pretty much all the art for my projects. And the next thing that I'm really trying to crack now is, is how to actually market these books and get them out to, the, out to an audience. And each book that I've released, I've learned more about how to do that how to reach an audience, how to build an audience, how to engage with an audience. You know, when I when I first started publishing I I, I thought that I thought that my work was so good that people would just find it and love it. And right. um, that's just <laughs> exactly. not the case. Mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean I mean I think I think it's good, otherwise I wouldn't put it out there. But just because I think it's right. good, it, A doesn't mean everybody's gonna think it's good. And B, even if somebody thinks it does will think it's good, they they have to find it first, you know? Yep. You know, and, and especially because because, you know, as you know, Instagram survived as a pen name. I originally wasn't even letting my friends know that I was publishing this stuff. But I lost a huge market right there of, like, friends and family members that I wasn't comfortable letting them know that I was doing this. And wow. that actually circles back to what you were talking about at first, where you, where you asked about how, you know, early on in this conversation, how mental illness was, was, was very stigmatized for a long time. And that was why I kept the – that was why I took the pen name and why I didn't let people know at first was because so much of this work dealt with my mental health issues, and I wasn't comfortable revealing that to people. As time's gone on, I've, I've just come to realize I have nothing to fear about that. You know, that this is who I am, this is how I am, this is where I come from, and this is just art, you know? It's what it is. It sounds
1: like you've learned to accept who you actually are.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. For now, at right. least. I'm sure, I'll, I'm sure I'll question it again at points in time.
1: Well, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, I have um, basically genetic depression. And so, you know, that becomes apparent when absolutely nothing is going wrong and you're depressed. (laughs) Uh, Right. (laughs) right. Um, And, you know, the thing about people with mental health issues, for you to show up, like, let's say at the bank at 9 a.m., Mm-hmm it takes a lot more for someone with issues to get there because it's not just like, and I mean, the thing is we all have issues, but when you have them to a certain point where they, they, you know, the, the DSM, the um, manual that defines all psychiatric stuff, it, it, it it classified because we all have traits of something, you know, we all, if you look at that book, you know, it's a common thing when people become like a psychologist or a doctor, even they'll read these diagnostic manuals and start, being like, Oh my God, I've got
2: like, you know, Crohn's disease. And really just ate right. like shit, I've also, you just eat like, you I've also heard with regard to mental health, there's only, there's only two types of people in the world. There's the diagnosed and the undiagnosed and that's it. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's, but so
1: the thing for them is does it impact your life in a mm-hmm. way that you can't function normally? Like that's where generally that will these diagnoses will come in. And so like, um, you know, I've had OCD tendencies in my life, and I've definitely had it where it impacted my life. Where like I didn't arrive places at on time because of an OCD thing that was happening, or because of a health problem that was happening. And so I think that's what's more, what's very interesting to me. And I really just kind of have to take my you know proverbial hat off to you, is that dealing with these issues, you're doing this and i know that it takes it takes more for you to show up self publishing and and really just to do anything just to you know get out of bed just to do the normal stuff um when you're dealing with something uh, with things that that impact you in a way that can make you question you know not only uh, your motives or stability but also your reality um sure. you know it it it's got to be it's always definitely much more hard and I think, you know, a lot of artists, um, a lot of artists have these issues, but seeing you come into the, to, 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 the self-publishing thing and doing that, like, I definitely have a level of respect for it, especially when you're so, when not only the work is about it, um, and reflecting on it, but cause I believe that, you know, things like this get better with light shown on them, mm-hmm. um, but also um, just trying to imagine, you know, what the actual hurdles are for you to hit it. Um, so, I mean, I think that's probably a big one in there, too. I mean, obviously, it, it kept you from sharing it with your friends.
2: The thing that I want to say with what you were just saying is that mm-hmm. the, the thing that I'm really working with my publishing and my, and my writing right now, particularly with disorder, was one of the reasons that I wanted to do this the way that I did it and kind of come out of the closet, so to say, as who my actual name is and really let my friends know that I'm producing this work has a lot to do with a lot of the conversations today around mental health issues in this country. Mm-hmm. And um I suddenly realized that, you know, there's a lot of people who are very afraid of mental health issues. And that's not to say that that people that that that's not to say that people don't act abnormally when they are in say a psychotic state. But the reality is that like I have never done anything anything to hurt anybody while I was psychotic. I've been beaten up more times than I've ever than I've ever been than I've ever started a fight. While I have been homeless or in a psychotic state, I really wanted to show people that like, that like people with these diagnoses are people too. And we can really contribute to society as well. If we can get treated and if we can, and if we can get healthy again, and not that we're dangerous when we're not healthy, we're just homeless, you know, we're homeless, wandering the streets, talking to ourselves, saying crazy things that freak people out because they're not normal, but they're not dangerous. You know we're not dangerous, and that's that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to kind of come out of the shadows with all of this stuff now, and make it make it more apparent and more and, 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 and shine the light on it. You know, like I said, I'm still kind of I'm still kind of bringing my darkness into the light, like like like, uh, like my website says. How has the
1: reception been with that fear that you had of of showing it to your friends? How how did what what was the response when you started sharing it?
2: So you know, I mean, the reality is that the thing. The thing that kind of blows my mind is how how supportive people are and how kind of proud of me people are and talk about my bravery and stuff like that and honestly it's just me being me it's not brave I think i i it's it's just but it makes it makes me feel good to hear people say that because I was very afraid to share this stuff with people, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive to my to my to my work and my sharing and sharing my work with people, both my friends my family. And, um, you know, I gave a poetry reading in Baltimore a few months ago where for the first time ever I admitted that these poems dealt with psychotic breaks. Normally I said that they were just written when I was homeless, but I never explained why I was homeless. And when I said that to people, they really paid attention, really listened and really came up to me afterwards and had a lot to say and showed with me a lot about their experiences with either their own mental health issues or people that they know and care about their mental health issues. And, um, you know, it allows me to kind of be there and hold space for people and to again that thing of hopefully providing some hope for people not that not that I will necessarily be stable for the rest of my life I I hope that I am um but um but where I've gotten in my life today I think can provide people with some hope for their families loved ones and friends who are dealing with severe mental health issues at the moment you know because mine were mine have been really severe in the past
1: yeah and see I can I can kind of relate with my health issues. Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you can learn how to kind of like cope with it, but like, I can't control my health and I, I have to live with kind of, you know, security to a certain extent is, is, is something of an illusion. You can do things to live better and to kind of minimize things. Um, like for my depression, I definitely see a therapist all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and shit like that. Um, but you know there is that uncertainty um, of of things getting worse, and I and for me that's just something I have to accept is like is 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 just part of it, and just kind of try to you know you you try to live a meaningful life with that occurring. Um,
2: yeah, that, and I will say that I was just yeah. going to say I do have a I have put a lot of sort of safeguards in place for myself that when. You know, when this recent quarantine started, I I started getting really paranoid and was really drifting a little bit. And my wife got really scared. And I've I've been stable long enough, and I know her well enough and care for her enough. But when she got a little into my mental health, I really needed to reach out to everybody who had been in my corner so far. You know, and I got back in touch with therapists and psychiatrists and friends and and really did a lot of work. And I was really able to kind of, for the first time ever in my entire life, with her help and my my other friends and, and outside sources help, I was really able to kind of pull myself back from the brink for the first time ever. That, that blew my mind and showed me that, like, that like, sure, I need, to be, I need to be vigilant all the time, but I don't need to be scared anymore, that I have a lot of people in my corner and I have a lot of tools in my toolbox, as they say, you know. I know that this quarantine has been very difficult for a lot of people, and, um, and I feel for, for all of that, and I, I, I hope that we can go back to normal kind of as soon as, or whatever normal, maybe a better normal soon. But, at the same token, um you know, as I said, when it first started, I wasn't I, I was really struggling with some paranoias and fears, but um but this has really been an amazing, powerful experience for me like as as I've heard some people in in other in some kind of spiritual communities saying of like that this is the time to kind of go inward, you know, and I really feel like I've had an opportunity to do that and to go inward and and look at myself a lot. And spend time with, with loved ones, my, my wife and my child, and uh, also produce more. You know, I, I've, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of writing and producing a lot of work during this period of time as well. And that's why I say, you know, I mean, not to downplay it for others at all, because I know this is not easy for most people. But it's been a very, it's been a very nice time for me, actually, um, although I am ready to start going out in the world without a mask would be wonderful.
1: Well, it's odd that it happened at this time when we're so inundated with, you know, where we really don't have a lot of time to think that mm-hmm. we just got this break, you know, and I mean, there's this, and but also because of the danger of, of what it is of, of COVID-19, I think it's also forced people to really reevaluate what they're living for you know thinking about you know like I know so many people that are like worried about you know the longevity of their family members of, of mm-hmm. their grandparents, of their parents, of their children um, it's 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 really I think forced a, a moment for folks to take stock of value in their lives and to you know I, I've seen folks reconnecting and 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 you know maybe re-aiming some of the way that they 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 work in the world. kind of address some of the things that were stoked up by these, these, these fears and concerns kind of wrapping up, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thought on, you know, for some folks that are thinking about, you know, maybe they've been experiencing struggles with mental health, um, but they haven't really addressed it or maybe, they don't really know what to think of it. Maybe they've kind of accepted that maybe this is just their personality or something like that, um. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for folks that are trying to, you know, get better mentally?
2: Man, you know, I really wish I did, but I don't. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't know exactly what I did to get to the point I'm at today, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know if that's what would work for everybody. I've tried to kind of help people along the way and tell them what I do and either what I've done and either it, Either it doesn't work for them, or it, um, or they misinterpret it, or something. You know, I mean, it kind of. Um, this is kind of a horrible thing to say, but I remember somebody when I was in when I was an undergraduate telling me this saying. I can't remember who it came from, but they told me one day that uh, the the saying that salvation has no plural. And right. um, I kind of feel like that might be true. That like, that like everybody has their own path, and I really don't want people to have to suffer the way that I've suffered and I'm willing to help and listen to people that I, that I know and care about through these things, but I don't know what, I don't, I don't, I don't know what people do to stop it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that is one thing I've learned is, is from living is, is that everyone really does have their own path. Um, and there's some really mm-hmm. cool serendipitous stuff that comes along too, and, and unites people um, in paths. Um, but it really is, I think about, figuring out the thing for yourself and, and finding the way that what works for your life and and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. I guess that's, I guess that's really what I'm kind of getting at is that, is that it's an individual path. And if you want, I guess the, the, the thing that I would would say to people is that if you want to be healthy, you can be, and that's the most important thing as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, that's amazing.
2: That's great. (laughs) Well, um, thank you for talking with me. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.
1: And your book, it is now. Where, where can where can uh, listeners find this book at?
2: So disorder is now available for pre-order as an ebook on Amazon. It'll be coming out in paperback, and the ebooks will be delivered on September eighth of this year. So um, you can pre-order on Amazon for the ebook. Otherwise, just keep an eye out for it. On uh, if you want the paperback, keep an eye out for it. Name of the book is Disorder.
0: And that concludes today's interview. I would like to thank Israfel for taking the time to talk with me. If you would like more information on Israfel or his new book disorder, head to israfelsavad.com.
3: This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.